My name is Vladlen Stepanovich Verishetin. I am a Russian professor of international law, honorary director of the International Institute of Space Law. Formerly for 11 years, I worked as a member of the International Court of Justice. My lecture will touch upon some fundamental issues of the contents and the structure of an area of law and legal discipline broadly known as the law of outer space or space law. I will try to identify features similar to other legal disciplines as well as uh, those features uh, which are distinctive from them. I will start with uh, uh, the contents of certain terms. As is well known, practical legal questions arose immediately after the launch of the first Sputnik in 1957 due to the vast political, military, and economic implications of the advent of space technology, a new law emerged in a historically short time span. After a brief period of somewhat differing designations of the new legal discipline, the term the law of outer space or space law acquired general recognition. But in using this seemingly clear term, do we uniformly perceive the meaning and the complexity of its content? I'm afraid this is not always the case. Legal theory and the law itself are expected to operate with precisely defined terms. However, in reality, all too often, the terms used in legal discourse either have no universally agreed definitions or are defined very broadly and hence allow for different interpretations. The law of outer space is not an exception in this sense. In common parlance, this term is often used to denote the regulation of space and space-related activities through the amalgamation of all possible rules, binding and non-binding. However, this all-encompassing approach fails to provide a sound understanding of the term. Professors Francis Lyle and Paul Larson, in their recently published treatise, Space Law, perceptively compare the broadest use of the term space law with the, as they say, with the bucket that contains 
different types of rules and regulations rather than as denoting as a conceptually coherent single form of law." Unquote. Let us try to sort out the contents of that bucket. To do this, we need some reference points, if not in the form of agreed definitions, then at least in the terms of a basic level of understanding. The expression, the law of outer space, contains two elements. One is purely juridical, the law. The other is closely related to natural sciences, outer space. To start with the latter, the notion of outer space is not defined in natural sciences. Scientists continue to argue whether the universe is finite or not, eternal or not, and even generally, where, whether there exists one single universe or several of them. Although the law of outer space presumes the absence of an outer limit of outer space, in view of the current state of space technology, it does not purport specifically to regulate human activities beyond the solar system. As far as the boundary between outer space and uh, air space, it remains to be seen whether the recently announced discovery of new physical data evincing the existence of such a boundary in nature lying at a height of 118 kilometers above the Earth will be widely recognized by the scientific community. And if so, whether this will help overcome the political unwillingness of some states to legally formalize a boundary between airspace and outer space, whose legal regimes are fundamentally different. This is certainly not to say that space law governs and it goes without, it, it, it goes without uh, any doubt that space law governs activities carried out uh, not only in outer space proper, but also some aspects of space-related activities in the airspace and on Earth. Meanwhile, the inextricable link between law and technology makes itself felt in the wording of a number of provisions of space law agreements. The drafters of these agreements implicitly proceeded from the assumption that a satellite placed in any sustainable orbit around the Earth, including the lowest one, 
must be seen as situated in outer space. See Article 4 of the Outer Space Treaty or Article 2 of the Convention on Registration. Now turning to the first part of the expression, the law of outer space, one has to admit that the state of general legal theory does not make it easy to separate law from non-law. This complicates our task of sorting out the different kinds of rules we find in the above mentioned bucket labeled space law. Postmodernist legal theory and legal philosophy are awash with different concepts vis-a-vis -vis the nature of law and its definitions. For some scholars, law encompasses every normative order, irrespective of its recognition as law by states and whether or not it is binding and enforceable. For others, the very notion of a legal norm is untenable. They conceive law as a permanent process of decision-making. Still others advocate so-called legal pluralism. Difficulties in understanding the nature of law and legal obligations have always existed in legal history. It was not by chance that Professor Wolfgang Friedman observed over thousands of years the most powerful minds of all nations have been unable to agree on a universal definition of law. What cannot be denied, however, is the fact that the binding force, consistency, stability, and hence predictability of law, as well as the consequences in terms of the legal responsibility incurred for its violation, make law distinguishable from other social orders. The distinction between law and non-law is strictly observed by states and their organs, and by national and international courts and tribunals. Another undeniable fact relevant to the understanding of the term space law is the division of law in its broadest meaning into two largely autonomous fields, <coughs> national law, or rather the plurality of national laws, and international law, with multiple complex links and significant interaction between them. Accordingly, the law of outer space does not exist as a single coherent and comprehensive body of legal principles and rules relating to space activities. These legal principles and rules either lie within international law system, where they form a separate branch, international space law, or within national laws of different states, 
Thus, from the point of view of its normative contents, the term space law in its broadest sense is everything and nothing at the same time. In a narrow sense, this term is often used to denote public international space law. An important caveat should, however, be made. The separate regulation of space activities within international and national frameworks does not detract from the importance of having an integrated perception of this regulation. Provided we do not forget that we are not dealing with a single integrated legal system. A subject-oriented or territory-oriented approach to human activities has been widely and effectively used in different legal disciplines, such as air law, the law of the sea, environmental law, or human rights law. As one of various specific areas of law, space law borrows from law in general not only its tools, general categories and notions, but also its unresolved problems. Of equal relevance to space law as to other areas of law are problems such as the nature of law generally, and international law in particular, the relationship between national and international law, between law and politics, and between so-called hard law and soft law. Some of these issues will be discussed later. Now on some specific features of public international space law. Since initially the only actors in outer space were states and interstate organizations, space law inescapably emerged as part of public international law. It was elaborated within the UN with the help of a specifically established body, ANCOPOS, the United Nations Committee on the Peaceful Uses of Outer Space. The fundamental basis of this new branch of public international law was and remains the 1967 Treaty on Principles Governing the Activities of States in the Exploration and Use of Outer Space, including the Moon and other celestial bodies, Outer Space Treaty, which today, to date is binding on 100 states. Four other UN space agreements can be seen as implementing and developing the relevant provisions of this treaty. These agreements deal with such issues as rescue of astronauts in distress, international liability for damage caused by space objects, registration of space objects, and finally an agreement governing the activities on the Moon and other celestial bodies. According to the Outer Space Treaty, the freedom of exploration and use of outer space and celestial bodies is not unlimited. 
It is subject to a number of conditions and restrictions, such as non-appropriation of outer space and celestial bodies, authorization and supervision by states of private activities, concrete prohibitions of certain military uses, and others. The most general guiding principle expressed in Article 3 of the treaty provides that activities in the exploration and use of outer space must be conducted in accordance with international law, including the Charter of the United Nations. Clearly, this but another affirmation of the well-established tenet of international law, that human activities anywhere beyond national jurisdiction are governed by international law. Problems with the implementation of this principle arise when one collides with different conceptions of international law by different schools, positivists, realists, constructivists, and proponents of other schools of thought. Certainly, I cannot deal with these theories in the time frame of this lecture. And therefore, I will proceed from what, in my view, can be taken as the mainstream position, namely, the widely held approach which places emphasis on the distinctive role of law among other normative orders, on the unity of international law as a system, and on the universality of its basic principles. At the same time, this approach fully recognizes the existence of specialized legal regimes within international law. The international legal regime of outer space features a number of peculiarities. Among these, the most frequently singled out has been the unique regulation of matters of state responsibility and liability for activities carried out by private actors in outer space. However, now I would like to dwell on another salient feature of the law of outer space that is sometimes defined as revolutionary. Although in one form or another, it has already been present in international law for a certain time. The technological revolution that led to the unprecedented expansion of human activity into outer space coincided historically with another revolution in the political setting of the world. The swift growth of newborn states as a result of decolonization and the needs and demands of these states have left a significant imprint on the newborn law. The very first article of the Outer Space Treaty directs that the exploration and use of outer space, including the moon and other celestial bodies, shall be carried out for the benefit and in the interests of all countries, 
irrespective of their degree of economic and scientific development, and shall be the province of all mankind. It is true that from the very outset, there has been a wide range of different views and interpretations among states and publicists as to the legal significance of this provision. For some, it is no more than a statement of general purpose or moral principle. Conversely, for others, it is a firm obligation or even a peremptory norm of international law. In any case, however, it cannot be denied that these and related concepts and provisions, such as the common heritage of mankind in the Moon Agreement, and the constant reference in many documents to the necessity to take into particular account the needs of developing countries, have exerted a strong influence on the content of international space law and have given an impetus to the further development of the notion of solidarity in international law generally. However, the practical implementation of these praiseworthy cons concepts and uh, provisions has proved to be less than successful. The expectation of distributive justice have never materialized. Moreover, with the much-claimed global triumph of free market ideology, the prospects for the implementation of these innovative concepts in space law have become ever more distant. Commercialization and privatization are now the catchwords of space policy in spacefaring nations. Although the trust in invisible hand of rational market is waning in the, wake, in the wake of the recent financial and economic crisis. The principle of international cooperation in the exploration and use of outer space permeates the outer space treaties and all other instruments of space law. However, the 1996 set of principles relating to space cooperation, despite its impress impressive title, the title is Declaration on International Cooperation in the Exploration and Use of Outer Space for the Benefit and Interests of All States, taking into particular account the needs of developing countries. Despite this very impressive title, uh, the provisions of this document, in view of many, did not advance the practical realization of earlier assumed undertaking, but rather construed them in a less binding and more ambivalent way. Let us hope to use a metaphor of my former colleague, Judge Bejawi, 
who was also the president of the International Court of Justice, to use his words that uh, even if the revolutionary concepts and principles of space law undergo a gradual eclipse, they will not disappear like a comet. Now I turn to the issues of national space legislation and the relationship between space law and private international law. It is often said that the golden age or la grande époque of public international space law was very short-lived. There had been no new UN space treaties or agreements since 1979. The failure to elaborate new legally binding international instruments of general application can be contrasted with the current burgeoning of national space legislation that now exists in about 20 states. In domestic law, maybe with the exception of very few states, space-related legislative acts have not yet acquired the status of a separate branch of national law. Many of those acts do not ensure comprehensive regulation of national space activity, but concern only some of its aspects which in view of the legislator are of direct relevance to the given state. For example, licensing, certification, insurance, and others. The growth in the transborder circulation of people, goods, services in the area of globalization, among other things, requires the harmonization and unification of the respective domestic legal regulation. National space and space-related activities, especially due to their rapid commercialization and privatization, are now part of this global process. This brings into picture the issue of the international, of the relationship between uh, space law and private international law. At the same time, it would be wrong, or at least premature now, to claim the existence of a distinct private international space law. However, general private international law, with all its tools that it has developed, has been widely applied by international private and public-private space enterprises. Therefore, one can say that space-related activities are governed not only by public international space law, but also by private international law. On the other hand, the huge investments required for space activity and the risks involved had a direct impact on a number of traditional facets of national and private international law. For example, risk allocation provisions in contract law, insurance, intellectual property rights, and others. 
the obligations flowing from public international space law are of undeniable importance and should be taken into account by the parties to an enterprise when dealing with such issues as property rights in outer space, jurisdiction and control over space objects, or third-party liability. Growth in the economic uses of space technology and the privatization of such uses have led not only to the wide application of private international law, but also to the scholarly construction of so-called branches of space law, such as space economic law, space telecommunication law, space transportation law, and others. In reality, these branches are simply conflations or if you want combinations of binding and non-binding rules originating from different sources, national and international, <coughs> and assembled around a certain subject connected with space activities. They can have pedagogical value and even in some practical respects be useful, provided we do not lose sight of the diverse nature of thus assembled rules and the varying consequences that flow from their violation. The differences between law and non-law, international and national law, public and private law, despite their increasing interaction and even appearance of hybrid forms of regulation, should be kept in mind when we are confronted with the maze of regulation of public and private space activities in the era of globalization or with the efforts of the private sector to reshape space law to its liking. I would think that despite the growing diversification of formerly purely governmental space activities, the basic principles formulated in the Outer Space Treaty, including the principle of authorization and supervision by the appropriate states over the private activities in outer space, cannot be easily abandoned. Moreover, it was convincingly shown by a number of prominent space law experts that these principles correspond not only to the interests of states, but also to the interests of private actors. No activities in outer, spa in outer space can be left unregulated by public international space law, if only for security and safety consideration for life on Earth. I agree with those who warn against the revision of the Outer Space Treaty that today continues to duly reflect the balance of interests of all states and of all sectors of space activities. I will now uh, turn to the issues of uh, relationship between so-called soft law and hard law. As I mentioned earlier, over the past 30 years, there has been a dearth in new international instruments relating to the general regulation of space activities. 
and those that did appear were not in legally binding form. This trend in space regulation, and in particular the recent initiative of the European Union concerning the draft of a voluntary code of conduct for outer space activities, in large part due to its claim to lay down the basic rules to be observed by spacefaring nations, has led to a resurgence of a theoretical and practical interest in the notion of soft law. Of course, this problem is anything but new, either for international law generally or for international space law in particular. At the beginning of the space age, it was actively discussed mainly in the context of the role of UN General Assembly resolution as a source of international law. The result of this academic debate was not conclusive, but it was not contested that some General Assembly resolutions, although not legally binding, played a singular role in the origin and further evolution of international space law. It is recalled that the precursor of the Outer Space Treaty of 1967 was the 1963 Declaration of Legal Principles, unanimously adopted in the form of a UN General Assembly resolution. Some of the principles stated in that declaration and in a number of earlier General Assembly resolutions arguably became customary law even before the entry into force of the Outer Space Treaty. Nevertheless, it is also useful to recall that the UN Office of Legal Affairs in 1981, already in 1981, advised that in the practice of the United Nations, apart from the solemnity, solemnity and formality associated with the declaration, there is legally no distinction between a declaration and a recommendation which is less formal. End of the quotation. In the years from 1982 to 1996, a number of the sets of principles relating to concrete space applications and space cooperations cooperation, sorry, were adopted in the form of UN General Assembly declarations. <coughs> At that time, states evidently proceeded from the clear assumption that they were voting on or consenting to legally non-binding documents. This basic assumption cannot be dispelled, although it is tempered by the weight and significance of those principles, their thorough and protracted drafting by the authorized representatives of the states, and by the fact that some of them were accepted by consensus. Certainly some of those principles in the same or modified form can acquire a legal character, 
either through a treaty-making procedure or by way of formation of customary rules. Internally, within a state, they can become legally binding at any given moment under the national procedure. Those principles can also serve as evidence of state practice in the legal discourse on the interpretation of certain rules of national and international law. From this perspective, one can speak of their legal relevance. However, the formal distinction between law and non-law cannot be bridged simply by characterizing these principles as quasi-law, pre-law, sub-law, or soft law. No court of law would render its judgment in a dispute and determine the legal responsibility of a party basing itself solely on such a category of law. By making a distinction between legally binding and legally non-binding regulation of space activities, it is not to say that legally non-binding regulation is not important. Space and space-related activities, along with human activities in other fields, are ordered not only by legal rules and principles, but also by legally non-binding instruments. Instances of this regulation include the aforementioned declarations on principles, space debris mitigation guidelines, the recommendations on the practice in registering space objects, and some others. In many cases, those instruments whose titles vary deal with specific, often technical matters, but this does not diminish their significance for outer space regulation. Moreover, the drafting history of Article 4 of the Outer Space Treaty shows that legally non-binding arrangements can pave the way for firm treaty commitments even in matters of such magnitude as military uses of outer space. As to the draft of a voluntary non-binding code, which I mentioned earlier, Code of Conduct for Outer Space Activities, introduced by the European Union in 2009 in the Conference on Disarmament, from my perspective, the problem with its wider acceptance lies, among other things, in the following. On the one hand, it claims to become the all-encompassing instrument for the regulation of space activities, at least in the matters of safety and security of such activities. On the other hand, it by design avoids even mentioning one of the most important conditions for space safety and security, namely the necessity to prevent the placement of weapons in outer space, space weaponizations. Finally, uh, a few words about space law versus space policies. The doctrines and national policies 
of the most concerned states often give impetus to defamation and strongly influence the contents of new areas of legal regulations. The political and legal positions of the two major actors in the field of space activities played a singular role in the elaboration of the first instruments of international space law. With the increase in awareness of the current and potential benefits of space applications, more and more states, international organizations and institutions of regional integration started to formulate their space law policies and actively participate in the elaboration of legal rules governing space activities. The body of such rules has significantly accrued through interstate cooperative agreements and constitutive instruments of international space organizations. However, no state on which an international legal rule is binding can invoke against it its divergent national policy. Law takes precedence over policy. The policy of a state must remain within the bounds of and conform to the dictates of international law in force. This is especially true when what is at stake is conduct in outer space, the exploration and use of which is defined in the Outer Space Treaty as the province of all mankind. National space policy must be checked against law, but not vice versa. Designed to serve international community interests, the law cannot be reduced to a position of subservience to the changing policies of one or several members of this community. Certainly international law is not a frozen system of binding norms defined once and for all. It is a living organism that should adequately reflect the exigencies of international life. There exists lawful ways for determination or modification of legal obligations. At the same time, according to the well-established jurisprudence of the International Court of Justice and of its predecessor, the Permanent Court of International Justice, even the national law of a state may not be invoked as a justification for its failure to fulfill its international obligations. It goes without saying that this principle is also applicable to a national space policy or to another executive decision of a state. To conclude, solid foundations for the law of outer space were laid down at the dawn of the space era. There may be some truth to the nostalgic view that the golden age of international space law is over. Currently, we are witnessing the development of mainly national laws, in large part 
relating to private activities in space. However, the future evolution of space law, as of any other area of law closely connected with science and technology, depends on the character and pace of progress in the respective field of human activity. One of the great prophets of the space era, Sir Arthur Clarke, on his 90th birthday, more than two years ago, said, among other things, referring to the past 50 years of space explorations and uses. We have accomplished, he said, a great deal in that time. But the golden age of space is actually just beginning. This prophecy infuses us with confidence in the continuing need for strengthening and improving the legal framework of space and space-related activities. <laughs>